Bone-chilling cold sweeps across BC. I don't have enough layers on, even though I've got a whole bunch of layers on. Stuck vehicles abandoned by their drivers, even ski hills calling it quits as we face a winter weather warning. A shocking car theft caught on camera. I had to actually think to myself, stop, let go before you get dragged down the road. Equipped to carry their special needs child, the desperate plea to get their van back. And the long road to justice for a BC gangster. It's always evolving, there's no loyalty in gang life. The life sentence for a killer and why it takes so long to investigate deadly violence. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. We'll begin with that bitter cold that's taken hold of our province. Temperature records are being shattered across BC, and the deep freeze isn't letting up yet. We have team coverage once again for you tonight. Alyssa Tebow, Richard Zussman, and Aaron MacArthur all braving the cold tonight. And senior meteorologist Christy Gordon has more on when we can expect to warm up. But first, the mess left behind on Metro Vancouver roads from Thursday's snowfall is still being cleaned up. The big concern now is this record-setting cold and the challenge to keep warm. Alyssa Tebow joins us now from downtown Vancouver. And Alyssa, it's usually a busy Friday night down there. Is the cold having any impact now? Yeah, it certainly looks like the temperature is keeping some people indoors right now. It's not nearly as busy as you would expect on a normal Friday night in downtown Vancouver. The people that are out here, we're seeing lots of heavy winter coats, lots of snow boots. I had to put my ski mittens on because I was starting to lose feeling in my fingers. It's about minus 10 right now. Feels more like minus 18 with that wind chill. We got even colder temperatures through the day today. And on the roads, as you mentioned, we were still seeing the remnants of last night's commute. Cars left at the top and bottom of North Road in Burnaby, abandoned after a slippery commute home Thursday night. Many of the city's hills proving too dangerous after a bit of snowfall and freezing temperatures. I saw a couple cars make it. I tried to fight it out myself and obviously it didn't turn out too well. Officials with the city of Burnaby say roads were pre-treated, but the snow melted in with the brine and salt. We ended up uh, seeing a a large amount of that brine uh, getting diluted with the small amount of snow that came and then uh, with the traffic sitting over top of the, the snow it started to melt and then it refroze quickly um, into sheets of ice. The roads manager saying crews were out today with sand. Other areas had issues too. In Richmond, RCMP say luckily no one was hurt in a 17-car pileup. Several buses were stuck on Davie Street in Vancouver and this chaos recorded on Turner Creek Drive in Port Moody. Cars taking out a lamppost and also hitting a fence. Thursday's snowfall was sudden but not unexpected, leading to criticism. The roads in town were terrible. The lead up to the Second Arrows Bridge was a skating ring. Even the buses couldn't get up. Yeah. So they did a bad job of preparing. The province says crews were well prepared and out in full force, but noted some vehicles didn't have proper tyres. Friday morning brought sunny skies, but bitterly cold temperatures to the Fraser Valley. It's mean and nasty. Hopefully warm after coffee and a donut. The mercury hovering around minus 15 in Abbotsford, but feeling more like minus 28 with the wind chill. Cold enough for the gas to become denser and move slower through the pumps. 
In downtown Vancouver, the sun was shining, but the temperature far from normal. The inside of these single-pane windows froze over in the West End as the city continues to freeze through an unusual cold snap. I guess I'm feeling a little uh, chilly, (laughs) feeling it. (laughs) It's freezing. I don't have enough layers on, even though I've got a whole bunch of layers on. Now, of course, with temperatures this cold, officials really don't want anybody to be outside when they don't have to be. There are 15 warming centres open in the city of Vancouver tonight, and there are also other centres open in virtually every other city right through Metro Vancouver and through the Fraser Valley as well. Chris? All right, welcome relief for a lot of those folks, no doubt. Alyssa, thanks very much. Go get warm. A number of records have fallen on Vancouver Island, and Richard Zussman is live in Victoria where it's so cold. The fountain on the legislative grounds has frozen. Richard, uh, yeah, it's tough over there. Yeah, a rock-solid sign, Chris, that things are cold here. The fountain frozen in front of the legislature. People have been coming by all day to take a look at it. Right now, minus 9 here. Feels like minus 18. And everyone is just trying to figure out ways to deal with this. At Peace Arch Hospital in South Surrey, I've been told that they didn't have any issues with the furnace, but they started noticing things were obviously colder inside than they would like. So the medical staff there, started sealing up windows, bringing in heaters to make sure the patients were as comfortable as possible in the healthcare setting there at Peace Arch. In terms of power use, we are seeing a huge surge. BC Hydro saying that more than 10,300 megawatts were used. It's not the record, but it is a huge increase. And there have been those records that you described here on Vancouver Island. The coldest January 11th on record. Let's take a look at some of those records here in Victoria, and they've been keeping track of this a long, long time. It was minus 10.7 yesterday. The record before that was 9.4. That's on January 11th. The Malahat minus 13.4. It was minus 8.4 back in 2007. And in Nanaimo, a record of minus 10.3. And even more records fell today. We have seen dozens of records fall for daily minimum temperatures, uh, some of them by five, six degrees. And most likely tonight, we will see a higher electricity consumption. So it will likely be close to record breaking, if not record breaking. So if you joined us at five, Chris, you saw we did some experiments here. And guess what? They were. So we had some ramen noodles, and this is something Sophie Louie actually told me about. We took the noodles out, we put them out an hour ago, and it is frozen solid. Look at that, Chris. Rock solid. The ramen noodles are frozen. The water we tried, look, it is salt frozen as well. My finger's not even going in there. It is frozen. And last night, we showed you the trick with the water. It didn't work very well. Let's take a look tonight. And I know our friends in Fort St. John and Williams Lake and Prince George are laughing at us here in Victoria and Vancouver. But let's take a look and see what happens to this water when we throw it up in the air. Ho! Oh! It worked. It worked. We have a wet camera. It was better than yesterday. (laughs) So thank you to all my friends across the province who gave me advice on this, including a viewer in the Yukon and Castlegar who showed us how to do it right. So it worked out a bit tonight, and clearly I'm not going to be having any ramen anytime soon. (laughs) (laughs) Leave it in the cup, Richard, and we will see the boiling water experiment.
done by some grade two students a little bit later in the newscast as well. So that was fun. Appreciate Excellent. it. Hope you can find somewhere to get warm too. The cold blankets the entire province and while areas outside the lower mainland and Victoria are used to dealing with this more often, the extreme cold and wind chills are forcing people and businesses to make some changes to keep everyone safe. Aaron MacArthur has that part of the story. The deep freeze is on. The overnight low in Prince George, a near record, minus 39. Exposed skin freezing in minutes. But despite the obvious dangers, some people walking totally unprepared. A newcomer to Canada found on the side of the road in running shoes and a hoodie. And she didn't have very good English, but she knew enough that she was scared. She was really scared. The brunt of the cold faced by marginalized people. In Kelowna, outreach teams were on the street with warm drinks, extra sleeping bags, jackets and hand warmers. Not everyone has a place to stay or wants a place to stay for the night. As in past years, the city rolling out warming buses to give people temporary shelter. A lot of our unhoused um, community members, they've been able to access these warming buses, which has been incredible. We had an individual today speak very highly of it. He was able to warm up um, in the middle of the night. In Vernon, tent encampments mostly abandoned. Emergency mats set up at all the shelters in town. It is cold, it's very dangerous out here. Staff helping any way they can, saying the cold makes the at-risk population more vulnerable. Drug use goes up when they're very cold because it's a way to not feel the cold as much while they're outside. And that's uh, putting more people at risk for overdose. The temperature's ridiculously low across the province. Minus 35 in the north, not much warmer in the Kootenays. The cold snap catching most people off guard. It came as a shock after the balmy fall we were having. Uh, I'm freezing right now, actually. The temperature's cold enough to force some ski hills to shut for the day. The risk of exposure on the lifts just too great. The cold will stretch out through the weekend. Groups around the province urging everyone to keep an eye out for people struggling. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with the latest look at what to expect on the weekend and beyond. Christy. Chris, it's going to be a very slow climb out of this deep freeze. We'll likely stay below freezing through the weekend into Monday for the South Coast area. Today was definitely the coldest. And here's a look at the overnight lows that we saw. Uh, these are a good 15 to 25 degrees below seasonal for this time of year. Now, Arctic outbreaks do happen a couple of times a year, but one that is this extreme is certainly far less rare. Uh, the last time we saw one was back in December 2021, just after Christmas, and that was sort of a very long, stretch of cold weather. This one is going to be more of a three, four day event. Quick look at the wind chills from this morning. They range from minus 11 in Tofino to minus 51 in Fort Nelson. As I mentioned, it will be a slow climb out of this cold. And this is the trend that we're really going to see all across the province. I'm just using Metro Vancouver as an example. But we will make our way to near seasonal values sort of late next week. But really important to note, during that transition, Tuesday, Wednesday, we have the potential for some significant snow so tune back in late weekend into monday chris back to you all right thanks very much christy now crews from north shore rescue and talon helicopters fought those frigid conditions to pull off a life-saving rescue operation in whistler the crews were called after two backcountry skiers 
found their way into Fitzsimmons Creek in the deep valley between Whistler and Blackcomb Mountains. The pair was stuck in the gully, suffering hypothermia and frozen feet. The rescuers were long lined in in a delicate operation because the helicopter had to stay clear of the peak-to-peak -peak gondola cable and the zipline operation in that area. Both skiers were eventually pulled to safety, but NSR says with the wind chill, temperatures were around minus 50, and it's unlikely the two skiers would have survived the night if they weren't rescues, rescued. Well done, North Shore. Well, warning about this next story. Some of the video might be disturbing. Three Vancouver police officers have been found not guilty of assault in connection with the takedown of a fleeing suspect nearly seven years ago. As Kristen Robinson reports, security video of the violent arrest played a major part in the decision. Judge Jay Solomon rejected the Crown's case and found each of the three officers not guilty of assault, dismissing all charges against them. Constables Bo Spencer and Brandon Blue and now retired Constable Gregory Jackson leave provincial court following their acquittals. The judge finding the Crown failed to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that their individual or collective use of force was unreasonable, disproportionate or unnecessary. We knew from day one they had done nothing wrong and this clearly was a persecution against our members for being police officers doing their job. The trio had been charged in a May 2017 incident captured on surveillance at the commercial Broadway Skytrain station. David Cowie fled the scene on a bicycle after an alleged theft from a parkade. Constable Josh Wong, who was not charged, tackled Cowie to the ground. Wong called in a Code 3 cover, the most serious form of needing help. The suspect he radioed, not in cuffs, he's down and fighting. Three officers raced in to assist. Constable Blue testified Cowie was actively resisting arrest and fighting and was concerned Cowie could access a weapon. Crown Counsel said Constable Spencer delivered three punches and three knee strikes in six seconds. Cowie suffered four broken ribs and a partially collapsed lung during his arrest. I'm surprised that Crown Counsel even approved charges and that we found ourselves in, in court. Crown claimed the force used was excessive. Defense argued the officers were doing what they were trained to do. From the video, the judge inferred the suspect had a mindset of avoiding arrest at all costs, including injuring an officer if necessary, and thereby posed a significant danger to officer and public safety. Adding, I accept that the suspect's hidden right hand was an objectively significant concern in the context of a fleeing and fighting suspect, and it was not unreasonable for the accused to be concerned that the suspect could access a weapon with his right hand. It was clear... Uh, with an objective lens that our members hadn't done anything wrong. This isn't Bo Spencer's last battle. The constable could face discipline, including dismissal, for possible abuse of authority and neglect of duty linked to an OPCC investigation after the 2015 death of Miles Gray. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A B.C. gangster has been sentenced to life in prison for a pair of murders, including a victim of mistaken identity. It ends a multi-year investigation that spans several provinces. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, the case sends a clear message to other would-be gangsters. Gangster and hired hitman Terrell Nguyen was sentenced this week to life in prison with no chance of parole for 25 years. He was found guilty of the first-degree murders of fellow brothers keeper gang member Randy Kang 
and unintended victim Jagdir Malhi. He was also found guilty of the attempted murders of Gary Kang and Camilo Alonso. Now I hit the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team is revealing some of the complexities of the file, dubbed e-prosperity. In total, over the seven years of investigation, this project was supported by over 315 police officers and over 24 support staff. The investigation dates back to 2017, when Randy Kang was fatally shot in Surrey. Gary Kang and Camilo Alonso were also targeted, survived, and were later murdered. We're going to be dedicating a lot of resources at CFSCU to making sure that those individuals who we know are the greatest risk to public safety in British Columbia, uh, that we're keeping tabs on them. Also linked to the file, the killing of 19-year-old Jagvir Malhi. The unintended victim was fatally shot at an intersection in Abbotsford in 2018. IHIT says multiple agencies were involved in the investigation, which led to Nguyen's conviction and sentencing. How will this impact the ongoing gang conflict? It's always evolving. There's no loyalty in gang life. Uh, you think you're joining a group to better your life. Well, the people that you're joining up with are very likely going to be the ones that are asking for you to be murdered later on down the road. IHIT was unable to put a financial cost to the extensive investigation. The human cost, evident, with no signs of abatement. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A new study reveals the main reason a lot of landlords reject rental applicants. And a thief caught on camera stealing a lot more than the family vehicle. My first thought was, who's in my car? The moment the family lost its freedom when the thief took off in a van they consider a lifeline for their special needs daughter. How you can help get it back next on the News Hour. Finally, get the opportunity to say what I should have said many years ago. Why it's taken this author a lifetime to tell the story he's been holding inside coming up a little bit later. And startling figures show just how far over budget the Trans Mountain Pipeline is before a single drop of oil hits the coast from Alberta. Those stories coming up, but right now a new report says families looking for housing in B.C., face another hurdle just as difficult as affordability and lack of supply. Many are being discriminated against simply because they have children. And as Travis Prasad reports, the study authors are calling for more protection from the provincial government. That post on Facebook really helped. Three long months of scrolling and swiping is wearing thin on Lindsay Roberts. Here we are in this situation, like, trying so hard, you know, like, to just to keep my daughter well. The Whitehorse resident is trying to find a three-bedroom rental in Vancouver as her 16-year-old daughter undergoes cancer treatment. Maybe four or five messages back about places that are available of the uh, over 100 that I've reached out to. Roberts gets the feeling landlords are ignoring her, partly because she has kids. And really, it's just frustrating. In a new report, the first call Child and Youth Advocacy Society heard from roughly 250 B.C. families. Almost all of them said affordability was their biggest barrier to housing. Years-long wait lists for subsidized rentals also a problem. But one in five parents said they faced discrimination because of their family. 37% said they've been flat-out denied a rental because they have children. And the reason being given to them is that we don't rent to families with children or you have too many children. 
or your children are too young and they make noise. Renters are protected from age discrimination under BC's Human Rights Code, but advocates say it doesn't go far enough. It says you can't discriminate on the basis of age, but age is defined as 19 plus. So we're recommending that that clause be changed in the Human Rights Code to include children under 19. The report makes four additional recommendations. Aside from the urgent need to build more affordable rentals, there are calls to strengthen the regulation of private landlords. It's vitally important that we continue to find ways to move that file forward and we'll be reviewing the first call report looking at ways to incorporate some of the work that they're doing in the work we're doing. Roberts is thankful she and her family can stay in this room at Ronald McDonald House for now doing their best to create a sense of normalcy in trying times. She just needs to keep her spirits up and stay strong and happy and that means little things right like having her own space. Travis Prasad Global News. A Port Coquitlam mother says her daughter, who has special needs, is stuck at home after someone stole their specialized van. It happened right outside the family home, and it was all caught on camera. And as Jennifer Palmer reports, the family is desperate to get it back. Thursday morning around 9, Christinia Walker takes her dog and starts her specially equipped van to warm it up on a chilly morning. She goes back inside her home to drop off her dog and pick up her purse. But while she does that, a person crosses the road and climbs inside her unlocked silver 2014 Toyota Sienna. Seconds later, she returns to drive away and gets an unwanted surprise. When I pulled on the handle a second time, I realized there was actually somebody in the van. Then I started banging on the window, telling them to get out of the car. And that's when they took off and drove down the street up towards Loki Highway. When they drove away, I was actually still holding on to the handle of the van. And I had to actually think to myself, stop, let go before you get dragged down the road. It was scary. Walker needs the van for her 21-year-old daughter, Kayla, who lives with Rett syndrome, a rare genetic, neurological and developmental disorder that affects the way the brain develops. <laughs> The condition causes a loss of motor skills and language. For Kayla to be able to get around, she relies on her wheelchair and the $64,000 van. The family got it about 10 years ago with the help of a couple of organizations helping to cover the high cost. It's wheelchair converted to allow Kayla to access um, her medical appointments and her community outings to see her friends and like this is this is very limiting for her. The silver Sienna van was taken from the 3200 block of Raleigh Street in Port Coquitlam. The license plate is GL929P and it has several stickers on the back including an SFU one, Wreck-It Ralph and Brawnability. If you have any information contact Coquitlam RCMP. It's not just a vehicle, it's a lifeline. Jennifer Palma Global News. Just ahead, stars collide at Vancouver Fan Expo. That I was excited, and then this happened. The backlash against organizers for bringing in controversial performer Gina Carano. And an elementary science class gets a lesson in thermodynamics, proving that cold can be fun. Well, Fan Expo returns to Vancouver next month with a list of stars, including Elijah Wood and Danny Trejo. Well, one guest is getting some backlash. Gina Carano is infamous for her strong views on politics, vaccines, and the Holocaust. Kylie Stanton has more on what's stirring up fans and the organizers' response. Like this costume, cosplay has a lot of layers. It really does give an avenue for self-expression, creativity, uh, therapy. 
But there's growing concern plans for an upcoming event go against the fabric of the community. One of the few safe spaces that we have no longer feels safe. Three days ago, Fan Expo Vancouver took to its Instagram page, announcing Gina Carano as one of this year's guests. I was excited, and then this happened. <laughs> Lana Redlick is not alone. In the nearly 500 comments on the post, those planning to attend are expressing their disappointment, writing, gross move, as a non-binary cosplayer, no thank you, and hell no, is this the year to boycott? I think it might be. They should know who is their target audience, being young people, queer people, LGBT people. It was just an enormous slap to the face. The actress is best known for her work in The Mandalorian and Deadpool. But after she took to social media, comparing being a conservative today to being Jewish in Nazi Germany, Disney quickly cut ties. Carano never addressed her firing, only further fueling the controversy, posting transphobic, anti-mask and conspiracy theory-related content. Now there is fear those views will infiltrate what's supposed to be an inclusive gathering. People will just turn up in support of Gina Carano. I'm just genuinely worried it's just going to turn into yet another safety concern and issue for everybody who could be at risk here. This petition, more than halfway to its goal of 1,000 signatures, is now circulating, calling on organizers to remove Carano from the lineup. In a statement, Fan Expo Vancouver made no indication they would be doing so, writing every participant, including special guests, will be expected to uphold the same code of conduct to create a safe environment for everyone. That won't include Dalla. I don't want to go. Like, I've refunded my ticket. This costume will have to wait until the fandom is able to stitch together a safe place for all. Callie Stanton, Global News. And just ahead, the soaring costs of the Trans Mountain Pipeline, how it's spilling a lot of red ink with a cost many times more than taxpayers were promised. The Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion project is leaking a lot of red ink. The massive federally owned project is up, approaching about $35 billion, six times what Ottawa paid to buy the existing pipeline in 2018. Now, as Kamyar Razavi reports, the company is borrowing billions more to get it finished. Hugely over budget and with Canadians potentially on the hook for billions, the federally owned Trans Mountain Pipeline Company has quietly secured another $2 billion in financing. The pipeline project is an 1,100-kilometer twinning of an existing line in Western Canada. The Liberals under Justin Trudeau purchased it for $4.7 billion from a Texas energy giant. It's now projected to cost over $35 billion. The $2 billion in additional loans guaranteed by the government were quietly revealed just before Christmas on Export Development Canada's website. This pushes up the amount of money being lent to Trans Mountain by the country's private banks from $16 billion to $18 billion. Stephen Ellis, an analyst with Morningstar in Chicago, says no private company would ever have been so overleveraged financially while still remaining solvent. Uh, if this were a private firm, we probably would not necessarily be in the situation we are now because I doubt that private uh, private firm uh, would have under underwritten this level of um, valuation and this level of financial spending on this project. 
It's been a tough slog for Trans Mountain of late. The pipeline is 98% complete and aims to enter service in late spring. But it's hitting significant snags in the final stretch. Last month, Canada's energy regulator determined the company, quote, did not adequately address concerns about pipeline integrity and related environmental protection impacts in a last-minute bid to change its engineering plans in BC's Fraser Valley. The pipeline company said the setback could result in a catastrophic two-year delay and add billions more to construction costs. Global News has also learned the company wrote off a billion dollars in what's known as goodwill impairment. This, experts say, is an accounting move used to adjust the value of a company when its market value has declined. So what they do in accounting terms is they say, they call it goodwill. They say basically there's something of value here that mm-hmm. we're willing to pay for, but it's not reflected in what we're buying. Trans Mountain told Global News this write-off was a result of rising interest rates and cost increases associated with the project's start date. The Liberal government intends to sell off the pipeline once it's complete. As for the loans, those come due in August 2025, just before an expected federal election. Kamyar Razavi, Global News. In health matters tonight, the World Health Organization is warning that low global vaccination rates against the latest versions of COVID-19 are putting pressure on healthcare systems. WHO officials say only half of older adults around the world have received a booster dose, adding COVID-19 is still a global health threat. In Europe, the new COVID shots are recommended for seniors and the immunocompromised only. A high-risk group, the WHO says, should have 100% coverage. Last month, 850,000 new COVID cases were reported globally. Up ahead, an author from the Maritimes crafts a real page-turner. How his book, Stories from the River, surprises everyone but himself. And later in sports, how the Canucks keep hitting the jackpot with the lotto line. As temperatures continue to plummet across the province here in B.C., our neighbor Albertans are experiencing a whole different level of cold. This Arctic outflow has Alberta under an extreme cold warning with temperatures well below minus 30 degrees. Wind chill is below minus 40. In Calgary today, highs reached minus 32. With the wind chill, it'll be minus 50 overnight. It's so cold in Alberta right now that cars are struggling and people are being warned to limit time outside. Does not get that cold very often anywhere in Western Canada. Christy's here with a look at some of the records that fell. Yeah, so the coldest spot in Canada today was Watson Lake. So officially Watson Lake is in Yukon, but it's right near the BC border. So the surrounding area of Watson Lake actually dips down into BC. So 49, sorry, minus 49.4 was the coldest and that tied an old record. Princeton was very cold as well. We had 21 bro- records broken across the province today. Now, these are the uh, um, warnings that are still in place. They are going to remain in place at least for the next 24 hours. Tomorrow we are going to see a little bit of a change for the south coast but i want to just point out some of the warning signs for hypothermia confusion could be a warning sign as well as uh, shivering um especially if you have a combination of these um uh, uh, signs so difficulty uh, speaking sleepiness as well as stiff muscles so if you were to ever experience any of those call 811 or, or if it was extreme call 911 so arctic outflow still entrenched but what we're going to see late 
late tomorrow. So tomorrow morning is going to be very cold, but late tomorrow, a bit of a change. So we'll start to see that less Arctic outflow. I want to point out, though, Tuesday, Wednesday, significant snow is possible across the region with the potential for freezing rain. So we'll be watching for that. In the meantime, cold and clear all across the region, feeling like the prairies. If you're from the prairies, this will feel quite uh, comfortable for you. Very cold, though, and it's a dangerous cold. So do not um, uh, go out without being prepared. Don't travel without having extra clothes. Here's a look. We're going to remain below freezing through Monday, it looks like, Chris, before a change starts to push in on Tuesday. And then that's when we have the potential for snow. Tonight's Central Windows weather window giving Richard a challenge here and Spears sharing this with us from Prince George. She said the challenge is on and I'm, I think that he beat and uh, beat Richard, although I'm not sure if that's Anne, but she sent in the photo or the video. Chris, Definitely. That is a that is a solid boiling water experiment. And we'll show you another one among elementary school students, because in Kelowna, they were kept inside today due to the cold temperatures. But in one case, it did serve as a fun learning moment. That is the grade two class at Ann McClymond Elementary. They got to see what happened if their teacher threw boiling water into the freezing air. Our new unit is about solid liquids and gases. And so what happened with the water? It turned to snow, but not all of it. What do you think about the cold weather? I like it and I kind of dislike it because I like going out for recess, but we can't go out for recess. And I like the snow though. And what do you think about the experiment that you did outside or that your teacher did? I liked it. I thought it was cool. <laughs> like a lot of us, the kids are conflicted about the cold. By the way, the temperature has to be minus 41 Celsius for the boiling water to completely freeze in the air, which it didn't quite get to, but it was a great lesson in science as well, testing that hypothesis. All right, uh, let's see. What's the hypothesis for the Canucks? Just keep loading up the lotto line, Barry? Uh, it seems to be working so far, for sure, Chris. Yeah, but I'll say, unlike Lotto 649, where the odds to win are, the odds to win are pretty good for the Canucks when their lotto line is in action, their numbers have come up. Four games, four wins, 27 points combined since they were reunited last week in New York. Honestly, we have a lot of chemistry from playing in the past. Pedersen has 12 points in the four games. He's actually fifth in league scoring. He is loving the lotto line. So are fans. Okay, thanks, Barry. Also tonight. It was difficult, but it's worth it. Embracing his true self, one man tells his story decades in the making. All right, Barry's here with sports, and uh, Canucks just seem to keep on rolling. That's because they are. They just mm -hmm. can't be stopped. It's been fun to watch, that's for sure. Uh, thanks for so much, Chris. Uh, not coincidentally, ever since uh, Rick Tockett reunited the lotto line four games ago, the Canucks have scored a lot of goals, 21 to be exact. The lotto line has scored 13 of them. And the most important part, the Canucks have won all four games. And with games at Buffalo tomorrow and Columbus Monday, two teams who struggle defensively, I expect the goals will keep coming. Elias Pettersson, for one, is noticeably happier on the ice playing with JT Miller and Brock Besser after playing with Mikheyev and various other line mates for most of this season. Yeah, obviously, uh, I think all of us has grown and become a better player. And honestly, we have a lot of chemistry from 
playing in the past and I think just complement each other well and we work hard and we usually our defense is what's leading us to offense and when we do that uh, good things happen. I'll say. Well, to, to say it's been a waiting game for the Simon Fraser University hockey program as it aspires to become an NCAA Division I school would be an understatement, more like a marathon that has taken many detours over the past decade plus. First and foremost, the hockey team needs approval from its own university. That has proven to be difficult over the past dozen years or so, but now there is real hope that the puck will finally drop on their NCAA dreams. And uh, on the run, Hilton. Hilton's got a man in front and a goal. Wow, nice puck move. Well, they moved it really well. Walker Erickson. Now that's a highlight the SFU Redleaf hockey program is hoping will be a regular occurrence in the near future. This was from an exhibition game against Boston University last week, part of a three-game road series against top NCAA Division I schools. Sort of a trial run to show the college hockey world and most importantly SFU officials that being a Division I hockey school is very doable. The experience for our guys was, was tremendous. I, I've been saying for years and, and the people that we work with with the SFU hockey program have been saying for years that you know we're, we're close and, and, and our, our group of guys is, is hardworking, skilled and you know we play teams like BU and BC and Providence this weekend and we proved that. 20 minutes to fix the first 20 to give your shot a chance to win. Getting SFU hockey into the NCAA has been Coletta's personal mission for the past dozen years, and he honestly feels they are closer than ever to getting SFU's stamp of approval soon. They're hopeful to get a decision in the spring when the university hires a new athletic director, but feels after many years of spinning their wheels, they have some traction with the university. We know that sometimes you have to wait a bit and, and, and play the long game, and hey, um, I think there's a, there's a great group of guys supporting the hockey team. Um, like I said, SFU's been gracious in helping us out get to where we at, and hopefully we can um, keep pushing. Um, hey, if we don't try, we're, we're never going to find out. On the surface, there's not a whole lot of risk giving hockey the go-ahead. Coletta has assembled a deep-pocketed group of investors and alumni who would basically fund the program. And since SFU is already a member of the NCAA, it wouldn't be difficult to add the hockey team. Best case scenario for the eternal optimist Coletta, SFU could start as an NCAA Division I hockey program in the 25-26 season. You know, I hear it all the time. Oh, you guys are, it's a pipe dream and, and, and it'll never happen. But hey, if your dreams don't scare you at night, you're not dreaming big enough. And we wish them luck. The uh, Whitecaps have arrived in Marbella, Spain, where they will spend about three weeks getting ready for the MLS season and the CONCACAF Champions Cup. The Whitecaps are just 26 days away from their first match that counts this season. That's February 7th on Vancouver Island against Mexican side Tigres in the first round of the Champions Cup. Now, here's where the Caps are training in Marbella, Spain. Not a bad setting to spend a few weeks. Daily highs about 15 to 20 Celsius, so a little more comfortable than the Canadian wet coast right now. Whitecaps will train for the next week and then play four tune-up matches. Like I said, the season will be here in a blink, so time to get to work right away.
you know, it's very fast, but uh, it's also the reason why we're here. So, you, you know, it's, uh, and it's true, it's the main objective is get condition, uh, see the, the first couple of things that we worked on, if they, if they have been, I would say, uh, understood by the, by the guys. But at the same time, yeah, you know, it's the, the reason why we, we want to play as many games as we can, because we want to go immediately in the competition mode. So, I would say the best way to try to train better is trying to win the game. So we will go trying to, uh, to do a good performance, even if it's going to be really hard, because it's only after nine days of work and uh, a lot of guys probably, they won't have not even half of, a, of the game on their legs. Honolulu, Hawaii, 21 Celsius, palm trees, ocean breeze. Sounds pretty good. Mm -hmm. Nick Taylor, par three. Great shot here to seven feet. Uh, Nick, very late in his round, is at two under, which is right on the cut line. Adam Hadwin's going to miss at minus one. Adam Spenson is even, so it doesn't like, like he'll make the cut. But hey, if you miss the cut in Hawaii, you can always go to the beach. Although with those golf tans. Plenty to do. They stick out. You know, yeah, they you know, sure Yeah, they stick out with the They sure tans. do. Wishing those Canadians luck, nevertheless. Thank you very much, Barry. And coming up, a Canadian author rewrites his own story containing a twist only he saw coming. Jordan Armstrong is in the newsroom with a preview of what they're working on for Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan. Chris, tonight we'll have an update on the snowpack levels. Even with the recent precipitation, they are still well below average. And you may have heard the infamous fast cat fairies are for sale again. And if they don't sell, they'll be scrapped. Well, the man who's marketing them says he's had all sorts of inquiries since he listed them on Facebook Marketplace on Wednesday. He says one idea is to turn one vessel into a homeless shelter. At 11, what else is being floated for the fast cats? Chris. All right, fascinating history to those ships, no doubt about it. Thanks, Jordan. A New Brunswick author is getting a lot of attention for publishing a collection of stories it took a lot of courage to write. As Shelley Steves shows us, the author grew up in a rural community holding a secret it's taken him 70 years to tell. I was comfortable being by myself. Reading from his book of short stories is surreal for new author Doug Dolan. I tacitly accepted I was gay and began to move parts of me into a dark closet. At 70 years old, for the first time in his life, his words speak his truth. I finally get the opportunity to say what I should have said many years ago. His book he calls Stories from the River paint a picture of what life was like growing up as a gay boy in the small rural community of Nelson, New Brunswick, at a time when he felt it was impossible to be an open book about his sexuality. And that part of your life you set aside. Alone with thoughts he was too afraid to share with anyone, he suppressed his feelings. But as you grow older, you're realizing that that's no good. It took Doug 40 long years to come out, now newly married to his longtime partner Gary, who proudly helped him put his stories to print. Not a lot of stories from his generation like that are so down to earth and meaningful are written about. Like the fact that Doug was married to a woman for 37 years before he finally decided it was time to embrace his true self. It was difficult, but it's worth it. It's worth it. You have to be honest with yourself. If you, and this is all, this is a 70 year old man saying that. He hopes his stories will help people young and old navigate feelings about their own sexualities. 
I think that he will help some people, uh, even if it's a few, just come out and be yourself. Because the years can go by faster than a river flows. I'm saying to the younger folks, don't waste the time being somebody else. Be yourself. Shelley Steves, Global News, Moncton. That is a great message. All right, it's been, a, mm -hmm. what, 36 hours in the deep freeze, and we're not out of it yet here, Christy. That's right. So for the South Coast areas, we'll likely continue below freezing right through Monday. Uh, we are going to see a little bit of less wind chill by tomorrow afternoon for Metro Vancouver, but tomorrow morning will still be very cold with the potential for wind chills down to minus 20 again. Again, we're talking about Tuesday, Wednesday for the potential for more extreme weather when it comes to snowfall. So heads up, everyone. Make sure you're watching the news hour on Monday. Let's hope we're prepared for it this time. All right. Thanks very much, Christy Berry. Thanks for stepping in for Squire. And thanks, everyone, for watching. Hope you have a great weekend.